0: What are cryptocurrencies? Hey, hey, hey! What are NFTs? A non-fungible token. Time to buy Bitcoin. Bitcoin just seems like a scam.
1: <clears throat> Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Under Ledger. As usual, this is your host Moul Said, and I'm back once again on your weekly rendezvous from Paris. If you've listened to this podcast before. You probably have an idea about Web3 and its potential to provide us with digital freedom and unlock a ton of possibilities. But it's fair to say that we still have some work to do before we're able to reach mass adoption. Technology becomes consumerized when we stop talking about the tech and start talking about products. And it's fair to say that we're not entirely there yet. However, there are a few people out there who are actively building the tools that'll take the space from niche to mass. And we're in luck because today we've got not one, but two of them. First, I'm thrilled to welcome Brendan Mulligan, founder of PreMint NFT. PreMint is a fascinating project that aims to solve some of the frictions that NFT collectors currently face. And he'll tell us all about it in a minute. But first, let me introduce you to our second guest, someone you probably already know by now, who also happens to be today's episode interviewer, Ian Rogers, Ledger's chief experience officer. I think we can get to it on The Ledger, Season 2, Web3 Tools for Web3 Adoption. Here we go. Thank
2: you, Brendan. Thank you so much for joining
1: us. It's, it's really, I mean, first
2: of all, it's just great to have you in this space. I've known you a very long time. And, you know, as Mo said, we need real product people in the space. And it's, it's great to see you bringing your wealth of experience to the experience that we all face, which we know needs a lot of improvement. So just to kick off for anyone who's listening and doesn't know what PreMint is, what is it?
0: So PreMint is a, a, a way for NFT creators who are looking to launch their own collection um, to essentially pre-register uh, and, and pre-gather the, the potential future customers. So the problem it solved last year was there was a lot of demand for a lot of these drops that were happening. And typically what happens when you have a lot of demand for constrained supply in Web3 is uh, the at the launch time, bots really take over. People who know how to write scripts are move faster than people who know how to click buttons. And so the mints would sell out in seconds um, an enormous amount of gas to be wasted. And at the end, end the end of the day, people who bought them were typically computers who were trying to resell them really quickly. not people who actually appreciated the art. And so there was a movement to, instead of just opening up a Mint to just any wallet that could connect, to say, all right, well, before I do the Mint, go here and register and maybe prove to me that you're kind of a human, was kind of the, the initial goal. So um, connect your wallet. Or if, what I saw what people were doing was saying, go to a Google form, and enter your wallet address and enter your Twitter name, and then these artists and creators were going through and manually checking to see if these wallets were owned by real people. And so, the initial solution for Premin literally just solved that one problem, which was a page where someone could click connect wallet, and it would verify that they own the wallet, and say connect Twitter, verified who they that they had a Twitter account, and then it said connect Discord. That's all it did. Um, since then. We've developed it into being a pretty powerful platform to sort of gate your sign-up flow however you want to. So you can say, all right, I want the people who sign up for this, re- this uh, to register for this thing, to own a certain NFT, to follow a certain account on Twitter, to have a certain amount of ETH in their wallet. Like whatever the creator wants to do to sort of define how, they, how they're going to evaluate someone to be real, um, they can do. They can do collabs with different communities and say, I've got a whole nother sign up flow for CryptoPunks owners. You, you know, I'm going to save 10 spots for CryptoPunks owners. You can sign up over here. And then at the end of it, once they've collected their, this large amount, they can do a raffle within the, within the product where they can say, okay, I got you know, for a recent drop, uh, 36,000 entries. I only have 10,000 NFTs to sell, so pick 10,000 winners at random out of these 36,000 entries. So, um, it's supposed to just make it really, really easy for anyone to, to be able to launch a project, sign up people, and then, um, make a much better gas-free minting experience or gas-war-free minting experience when the actual NFT is dropped.
2: I have so many questions about this, but I'll start here. Where, what, what are, what are you seeing as sort of the best practices for products that are trying to gather up users before the mint, you know, is it, you want to check if they're human, but what are the other things that, that you recommend based on everything that you're seeing people use your platform for?
0: Well, I mean, I personally think it's a really amazing user research tool um, and sort of a, a market research tool when, and we can talk about this later, but we just launched a 10,000 K NFT that a few weeks ago, and I used Premint literally to see if anyone wanted it, right? It's, it was really easy to, to set up a page. I put the, I put the, I gated it by the price that I thought I would charge. Um, I put all the information about what the NFT was going to be, and I shared that link. I don't even think at first I bought, a, I built a website for it, like a, a landing page for it, and I just put that out to the community and just to get a general sense of who would be interested in signing up for it. Now, once people sign up, they're not making a purchase commitment because pre mint has absolutely nothing to do with the transaction. So, plenty of people sign up and then they don't show up to mint. But you can kind of get a sense of demand, you know, just by people sharing the link and talking about it. You know, when people saw that there was a certain um, ETH minimum. I would very quickly be able to get feedback if people thought that was an unreasonable ETH minimum, right? And I wouldn't have had to actually put the project out there and have the mint fail. I just, it was, you know, just primary market research. So I'm seeing a lot of people use it for that. Um, And then I'm seeing a lot of people use it to just, you know, there was, before there was open up to everyone and let everyone mint, which caused the problems I already talked about. Um, Then it was constrained to an access list. I've got 10, pick 10,000 wallets for my 10,000. Um, NFTs. Problem with that is, no matter how passionate your fans are, not everyone's going to show up to mint, even if they win, right? We ran a one for X copy. I think it was 10% of people didn't show up to get an X copy that they were paying 0.25 ETH for, which was immediately worth 10 ETH. People wow. just didn't show up. Um, so you never get 100%, and that causes all kinds of issues. So now people are using it to have sort of multi tiered drops where it's like, okay, you're on the winner list. If you, if the, at the end of the winner list period, now you're on the waitlist period. That's another constraint set, and then there's the public net. So people are just getting creative with how they're rolling up the project.
2: Let's talk about this for a sec because you did a great tweet thread um, earlier in the week uh, about about your own launch, and basically said, "Hey, this worked. Please copy it." What, so what is that? If you're if you were based on what you know today, which I know mm-hmm. you know will probably evolve over time, but what is that mechanism that you found where you, you know you you kind of had a multi-tiered. Uh, launch that that really work from a go-to-market strategy perspective
0: this is just my opinion obviously but and i might get flack for it but i think that for the sake of the project the people who bought it um the the best thing a creator can do is sell out at the end of a mint. like i think you're much better off selling out at a lower price than not selling out at a higher price like because if there is still primary available then a lot of the people who jumped in to buy it to flip it are going to just dump it. And, and it just really takes a while to recover from that. And then I know it's like, it feels like a sellout thing to say, but I just think mechanically, you really want to make sure that there is no primary left it, reasonably at the end of the mint. So completely I think agree. You're going to create value are... for
2: your community. And, and if to create value for the community, then you, you want to stay above floor. I mean, yeah. above mint. Now, you I want say, the floor to stay I... above mint price.
0: I will say that the caveat there, and I don't want to get too deep deep into this too early, but like the NFT we sold is access to software. And I do believe if you keep improving the value of software over a long period of time, you'll eventually sell out because the value goes up just because you're adding value, right? You're not depending on the the community pumping it or hyping it or anything like that, but we can talk about that later. Um, So anyway, so I think that like Dutch auctions, which is what the mechanic that Artblocks uses are really good for sellout um, results because you know, you're basically putting it out to the market and people are choosing the, choosing the price that they choose. And if you set the low price low enough, typically you're going to sell out, which is great. Um, but uh, as we saw with you know, any public mint, Boehner Sports had a huge public mint that there was a huge gas war there. Like even on a Dutch auction, you're still going to cause a gas war and waste a lot of gas. So I think the best mechanic you want you to, my priority list is sell out, no gas war, no bots. Those would be the three top priorities for me as far as like what a successful mint looks like. When I say no bots, I mean, you know, you don't want the whole collection owned by bots. So I think using a, uh, I think the guesswork goes away with pre-mint. So then it's like, how do you, how do you architect a sellout? Well, you do market research, you understand your market. You, if you have t- a 10,000 supply, you obviously need a larger list of people interested than 10,000. Um, and then I, it's kind of what I was saying before. I think you, you give access to winners. And you give them enough time to mint so they don't have – it's not like you get 15 minutes to mint if you are a winner because you're going to cause a gas war if you do that. You give them a reasonable amount of time. I gave three hours. Some people gave 24 hours. There's psychology with momentum that I won't get into of, like, what's the right number. Three hours is great, but it kind of sucks for people in different time zones where that's the middle of their night. Like, I don't, I don't know what the right solution for this is. But after you give your winners a fair chance to come in a non-frantic way – then opening it up to like a second list. And for me, what I did was just opened it up to anyone who had registered pre-registered. So for me, that was an extra 26,000 people, 26,000 people, uh, on a wait list. Like it didn't cause a gas war, but it sold out in like three minutes. Um, so I I think like, and then if it hadn't sold out in that period, I would have opened it up to the public for people who didn't plan ahead and pre-register. And I feel like if you do it some, if you, if you, if you have the numbers, um, you can do it in a way that still feels very fair and people have a chance to win and have a relaxing mint experience, but also, and you know, you also build enough momentum and hype, um, through the minting experience where you end up selling out. Um, so, you know, that's, that's super that helpful. is what I would do. I've
2: sent that tweet thread to many people because I think it's really, really helpful. And I also just really appreciate the way that you're, you're building this company in the public and, and sharing, you know, what you're learning as you, as you go for it one of the the issues that we're going for is is no bots or close to no bots and to do that you have a few mechanisms you know you you ask people to you know you you can require them to be in the discord you can require them to follow you on twitter um and to kind of also maybe maybe call down so that it's it's a a more limited group you can say you must have you know x amount of of eth in your wallet um what what what's what's the what are you finding with with that and you know our is starting to find find their way around what you're doing at pre mint or people registering going through the trouble of registering you know multiple discord accounts and having multiple twitter accounts because obviously creating a second wallet is, uh, is is really easy uh what what are you what are you seeing in terms of the must be a human
0: yeah i mean there there's a we we have like we have recaptcha which a lot of people think is Crap, but it's that you know we give a lot of options we get and we have everything you just said I think and there's also a custom field option where someone can someone could ask like a challenge question of their own. Um, bots are always going to find ways around the stuff. I think people overblow the bot problem significantly in thinking about pre-men. um And we don't like it's the the drop of the week. Is this is Moonbirds drop. It was it's a big high profile drop that they moved from doing a Dutch auction to doing everything through pre mint specifically because they were trying to avoid a gas war and an unfair drop and bots taking the whole thing. And when they did that, the community, there was a set of the community that was excited. And there was a set of community in, in rage because they were like, bots have already figured out pre mint bots already know how to register millions of times. I have the number of registrations publicly listed on the homepage all the time, but I think I haven't looked at it. Actually, I Actually, think I took it off because I think there was a bug with it. But um, it's like three million total registrations since Premin started. There's never been a a list that has been over seventy thousand. Now seventy thousand is a lot, but it's not millions. Like p- bots are definitely finding ways to register on Premin, but it but it's really not that big of a problem. Uh, the I think the more the higher the bar, some the creator puts in place, the less bots they're gonna sign up. So um, if you only require a Twitter account it's really easy to create a bunch of Twitter accounts and buy a bunch of Twitter accounts. Like really, really easy. So that's probably not a great gate. If you require discord, it really does slow things down a lot because discord is a pain in the ass to have to do a bunch of, you need a phone number for each one, like bots have figured it out, but it's, it just slows down. I saw this with the creator pass launch. I didn't have discord at first um, as a gate. And when I added discord, it slowed considerably the number of people signed up for the collector pass. Um, Hi you know, for Moonbirds, they're doing a 2.5 mint price. So that min minimum has their list is not, is not special. Like when you look at the grand scheme of things and it's because 2.5 is a lot of money to have in your wallet to be able to register. Yes. Bots have figured out how to move money around. And so it could be the same 2.5 being registered and over again but the but it has severely limited the amount of people who can sign up for that. Um, so I think that there's no perfect answer. Um, and most people don't really want to talk about the fact that sometimes you want bots, right? Like if, most drops benefit from having a subset of the purchases made by flippers, because that gets the secondary market going, and most collections care about a healthy secondary market. If the if it's if, the, if you sell 100% to Diamond Hands, it it kind of feels weird because nothing happens on the secondary. You know, it's just weird, and I feel like people are going to write books in, about the NFT launch psychology because there's so much you want to. If you eliminate all bots, I actually don't think that's what people want. It's what they say they want, but I think like people are happy to go to. OpenZ after their thing drops and see tons of people bot selling, even though they're only selling for a little bit above the mint price. Because humans probably aren't going to sell for 0.01 above the mint price, but a bot might sell 50 NFTs for 0.01 above the mint price because it's significant. So, anyway, there's, there's a lot of psychology to it. I think that ultimately, um, the other thing that uh, people can do is they can download their list and they can kind of filter it however they want. So I've, I've heard of some at the end of the day we, what
2: you're giving is a, a list of wallets and some metadata that goes with, with those wallets and then people can do what they want to with it. They can they, yeah. they can pick at random they can they can you know look into them and try to verify, do some kind of you know secondary forensics to see if, if they believe the that there are real people behind it. Well and, and I was going to move over to the collector side. What did you think the problem to be solved on the collector side was?
0: It was it. It kind of was brought to me by the collectors, which was I'm using premin a ton. Every project is using premin. I feel like I've signed up for a million premins. It is so hard to keep track of the ones I've signed up for. We don't have any email notifications or anything, or we didn't. Um, I I don't know what I've won. I don't know what I've signed up for. I would love to see other projects that I qualify for. Like the collectors were coming out in droves asking for stuff, and most of it was fit into three buckets. One was to to kind of I want. One view of everything I've ever signed up for and what I've won and lost because I just don't know. I don't. I forget to mint stuff because I sign up on pre mint. I don't even know when the mint is. So we built an inbox um, that has all that information. I want to be able to browse the you know what's on pre mint. The only way to figure out to find a pre mint list is to see someone tweet about it or see in Discord. Um, I always joke like it's the worst as someone who builds software. It's the worst user experience in the world. You go through the experience and you sign up on the list, and the only the user journey ends there. The only option a collector has is to close the browser window. <laughs> there is no link back to prement There's no, there's nothing. I, I equate it to, if you remember like when YouTube started and the only way you could watch YouTube videos if someone embedded it on their MySpace page. And when you went to YouTube, you just saw like an upload a video screen, right? It was it a was utility. That's where PreMint is right now. And so it was clear like that browsing experience would be appreciated. And then sort of the holy grail for a lot of people was, I have a collection that collection unlocks a lot of opportunity for me, but I don't really know what that opportunity is. So I don't care so much as to what all the projects on Premin are. I care about like, because I own these 50 NFTs, what can I register for immediately? Or maybe even what can I get pre-registered for, right? Like, what do I just get because I own this stuff? Those three things were like compelling enough to build a whole product around. And so, um, that's the, that's the goal of the collector pass is to unlock that kind of functionality. Um, and, Uh, we've built most of it. A lot of it is just about curation and making sure it's not, it's not abused, but, um, but that's, that's the core thing you'll unlock with the collector pets.
2: And how are you thinking about it now from a, a like a, just a way to build software, right? One thing you're, as you said, that you're experimenting with here is a totally new way to build software. I mean, I can subscribe to Adobe for a whole bunch of products. Um, you know, there, and, and, you know, there's, there's been a lot, we've seen a lot of software models in our career from shareware to, uh, you know, to nagware, to, you know, buy it, to, um, you know, subscriptions have become, you know, the du jour. And in some ways yours is a transferable subscription because you're saying, Mm -hmm. you know, this, this collector pass, you know, is good for this kind of season. And, you know, you can also sell it if you decide you don't want Mm -hmm. this utility anymore. Um, you know, what, what are your early thoughts? I understand it's experiment, but what are your early thoughts on kind of the evolution of, of, a of a software monetization model here?
0: Yeah, so with, the, with on the creator side of PreMint, I sold a pass that I have told people, even though it's an NFT, I've been like, it's kind of burned once you use it. As soon as you attach it to your Premen account, it can't be attached to another one. So it's a one-time fee, kind of for a lifetime subscription, but you can't sell it. And that's worked pretty well, but it's pretty confusing to people. Um, and obviously, the reason I wanted to do that was because, uh, you know, I could sell 10 passes, they could be sold over and over and over again. I'd have endless, literally a lifetime of users and no additional revenue. So with the um, collector pass, I wanted to enable sales, um, but I do worry about this like this potential lifetime supply of customers and no additional revenue. I just don't think that works for a software business. And so um, the, the, the dynamic the thing I added to it was this sort of period. So it is a, the pass is valid for a period of time and then it is not valid. And so the initial plan up until 4 a.m the day before launch was that it was just yearly. I felt like that was super easy, right? You're buying the 2022 pass December 31st at midnight, it expires. The benefit you get for holding it um, up to that point is you are guaranteed a spot on the 20 to buy a 2023 pass. So the 2023 mint page will look in if you have a pass, you'll be able to buy another one. Maybe get a discount. I, I hadn't really figured out the dynamics, but I was like, you'll get one. So if this thing ends up working, that should be a pretty good benefit. The problem I faced, and I, I felt like I was making excuses for this up until 4 a.m. when I finally decided to change it, was that we're already three months into the year, all the features aren't released. And people were like, if this is expensive, I believe in you, but I do think this is expensive. And it kind of sucks that I only really am gonna get Like in in six months, I'm going to start thinking about buying another one of these. And so I had like, after like three hours of updating FAQs, talking to people on Twitter and trying to like frame it the way I wanted to frame it, I realized like, if it's this hard to explain this, it's probably not the right decision. And so, um, you know, even though 36,000 people had pre-registered, it was probably going to sell it regardless at 4am. I just tweeted like, you know what, let's go through 2023. You're buying a founder's edition. You'll get it for the rest of this year and all of next year. Um, and so, but knowing that there's an end point makes me feel like if, if we've made a bunch of wrong decisions with this experiment, we can change them for the next, the next one. Right. So it gives that like that kind of mattered a lot to me. It's like, we might screw this up. Maybe 10,000 is too many. Maybe it's too few. Maybe it's, maybe the price is wrong. Maybe it, whatever we can, we've got, we can change it next time.
2: So. I totally agree. I think it makes a lot of sense. I think about that a lot. I'll tell you a story. When, when we were building um, beats, beats music, or really Apple music. And we were, we're launching this uh, radio station beats one. Uh, I wanted Dr. Dre to do a radio show and he was really non-committal. Like, you know, to, to you know, he sort of, you know, Jimmy was like, oh, "Dre's gonna do it." I said, "Okay," but then when I would get with Dre, he would he would say, oh, "I'm not sure." I, he he was just he didn't want to sign up for this thing that he wasn't sure he wanted to do indefinitely. You know, he's thinking about a radio show. Is you know what you hear on the radio in the morning, and those those people have jobs every single day at five o'clock in the morning for the rest of their lives, and that was not what Dr. Dre was excited about. And finally, I just framed it as. Think of it as like a season on Netflix. You know, just could we do one season? He's like, Oh, I could do one season. And then we were good. Yeah. And I think that that is such an unlock for people, you know, especially when you have a, a price set and you're getting confident on sellout as you were. It's not like when you're launching a piece of software and you have no idea how many people are going to come and you're going to you're going mm-hmm. to start you're going to start slow and hopefully we're going to make money and you've done these projections in a spreadsheet and it says okay by October we're probably going to be making this much money and I can hire this many people you know you you had sort of a you knew your number up front and then you could just ask yourself okay how long can I sustain for with you know with mm-hmm. this as my base and uh you know i'm not committed beyond that maybe i shut the whole thing down who knows um yeah you know but i'm um, but i'm not committed beyond that so i think it i actually think that dynamic can be really helpful for for tons of people in this space you know like don't, don't make open-ended promises because you certainly yep. can't deliver on those none of us will live forever and none of us want to do the same thing for the rest of our lives so
0: yeah um and and, I mean, and even though i don't focus at all on secondary, like in coming up with a plan, we will have to like, we'll see you know, the worry obviously is as the year, as the year starts wrapping up, the value of the thing is going down because there's only so much time left and that can hurt secondary. And then who knows what that'll do? Like, I have no idea. It's hard because like, this is a software business. This, I'm not selling investments. I'm very clearly trying to tell people like, I'm not trying to get you to buy this to make money. I'm trying to get you to buy this to access software. And like, I can't control what your, what your motivations are, but that is not, not what I'm doing. It's explicitly not what I want people to do. Um, and But I, you know, you'll, you always know that people are going to do it. So it's, it's so hard to like have to think through
2: that. It's super. That's why I ask because it's a, it's a, it's a new way of selling software. I mean, you know, I've, Mm -hmm. I've got, you know, I've got an, I've got a subscription to, to Photoshop, you know, how often do I use Photoshop these days? What if I could resell that subscription? You know, Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's it's super, I think it's really, really fun to watch. Well, you know, um, what can we expect as, as both creators and collectors? What, what can we expect from you next?
0: So, Um, I put the Collector Pass roadmap up. Uh, I've actually, I think we're way ahead on everything, but um, almost everything. But the the big feature that everyone's waiting for is the multi-wallet connection. So, and it's very relevant for you all because what people do is they store their awesome, expensive, valuable NFTs on a ledger. um, And they typically don't want to connect that ledger when they're minting some brand new unknown NFT. But if you have to prove that you own a Collector Pass and that's on your ledger, to be able to sign up for this Mint, you have to basically sign up for the Mint using your ledger address, which obviously is a security issue and it sucks for people. Um, and so starting, you know, hopefully roll this, we've delayed it because of the a big the big launch this week. We don't want to introduce any weird bugs, but, um, you know, next week will basically, you'll be able to merge these different wallets into one account. And so when you're signing up for something, it'll say like, oh, in order to sign up for this you you to own a collector pass. And then you can say, all right, well, my collector pass is in this wallet but I'm registering for this drop with this other wallet. So that from a security standpoint solves one of the biggest problems that anyone faces with pre-met. And in general, like I think that'll be just a standard way that people think about wallets going forward.
2: Let's go, let's go back in time a little bit and then come forward for me. As Mo said at the beginning, you know, this is, this is not, you know, your only or first, um, you know, product here. And like you said, you, you did this sort of as a, uh, you know, as a, te- as a, as a lark and, it, and it's turned into something, um, you know, I, we've known each other. I was just trying to remember how long, but a very long time, mm-hmm. like, you know, how, how, did, how, how have you ended up here? And, and what,
0: what are the many things that that you've done before this? Well, you're, yeah, you're one of the few people who have actually watched me go through this journey. So I would say that the, the theme of my career, which was not intentional, which I think is kind of probably good. I would love to say I had a master plan, but I have been drawn to working with creators my entire life. So even in high school, I used to, I loved music, but I loved getting to know the bands and helping them, like, set up their shows and, like, promote their shows. Like, I just I didn't do it for money. I just did it for fun. So that, that's what led me to go. And in college, I got into the music industry and put on concerts and then worked at CAA and did, like, the music industry executive side where i was at like record labels management companies booking agencies the problem was i kept seeing all these annoying problems that should be solved and no one was really solving them you were actually out there solving them but i was just like you know stuff like data management and just the most boring stuff but i was like we're all smart people and we're doing the dumbest shit moving this like data around and so i left and just started building tools for musicians and that's when i think when we first met um and then After doing that, I built tools for um, app developers because the app world was coming up and there was a bunch of just basic stuff that was hard to do as you were building apps. I was building apps and then like even knowing what your sales were on iTunes um, or your downloads were on iTunes was hard. And it was just, again, the dumbest stuff. Um, And so I started building developer tools. Google bought uh, our app development platform, spent a couple of years at Google kind of learning software development in that big company space, which was a valuable experience, but clearly not. Really, what I was passionate about. Like, big organiz- organizational problems aren't interesting to me. I like sort of user problems. Um, and then I left and I just went back to creators. So I built a podcast pl- uh, website platform for fun uh, for a friend. And that ended up being a pretty popular, it's kind of like a Squarespace for podcasts that's been running for a few years. And then when the NFT thing started, I started, it was really cool to me because it was the first time I saw creators. I don't know if you uh, identify with this at all, but I saw a, new, a brand new space with tons of problems. And creators who actually were making money—that was not a normal thing for me, right? Like musicians, it's like I, you know, musicians when they—if most of the tools that you build for them—they're not making money, and they don't want to pay for them. Or if they are making money, they think that they're big; they're so big that you should be paying them to use the tool because they're so. Yeah, you know, it's like it's very hard to unlock an actual software business when building for creators. The podcasting thing has been good, but it's taken three years to become like to to be something that, you know you could live off of. It's just really hard. And then I saw the NFT world and I was like, oh my God, these creators are getting rewarded for their creativity. And like, I was all in, I was like, I would love to help these people because like, they actually can make money. They actually can like build a a real business. They can actually build like a career for themselves doing what they love. And they don't have to be doing this at nights and weekends.
2: But also in your personal life, you were drawn to something creatively. And I'm just curious, what, what were the sort of, what was your, what was your NFT collector journey like?
0: Uh, you know, it it reminded me of being in high school listening to music because it was like I started nerding out on meeting all the artists and getting to know them and understanding their motivations and wanting to help them any way I could. Um, I loved the art. I thought it was it was so just the concept of it. There were really two pieces of it. I think the piece that really won me over was the idea of that scarcity, but also the ownership that could unlock other things. That to me was like the. I, you know, I think I minted some me bits a couple of years ago or last year, whenever they minted. And I was like, oh, this is fine. Like, I didn't really care. I was sort of tipped off to do it. And I did it and make, got a couple of them. And I literally just went back to like my life and didn't think about it. And it, but it wasn't until, and I can't remember which NFT this happened with, but when I bought one and suddenly it was like, oh, you can join this discord because you own this thing. Oh, and also you can go do this other thing. And I was like, oh my God, like I used to buy CDs or down, you know, buy MP3s, and that didn't get, unlock things. Why didn't that unlock things? I bought the CD, what, you know? Well, maybe I could also join like the fan club, and that might unlock things. But that never, that never felt good to me. I don't know. Why I never joined fan clubs, even though I was like a street team person. But the NFT thing is just something that I was like, oh my god, this is like traceable. You anyone can do this. Like Shopify, some random ass Shopify in the future can be like, oh, because you own an X copy, you get to buy this T-shirt. And X copy has nothing to do with that. But it's all like just anyone can do. I don't know. I just think that that is going to be so powerful. Um, and so I, the mechanic got me into like, kind of. I think that got me over the hump of, wow, this art is really expensive. Right. When you put it in U.S. dollars, like this is kind of crazy. <laughs> then suddenly I was like, oh, I, I kind of get it now. And then it just became like getting to meet the artists, playing the game of like, oh, what's going to be valuable in the future? Um, what's not, you know, oh, this artist released something before. Now they're doing a drop. I got to get in on that drop. How do I get into the dr- all that became like a fun game to me. Um, I will say that I, I, looking back, I think I was—I've never been a very good investor. If I've ever invested in anything, I invest emotionally, I, which means that I buy at the wrong time, sell at the wrong time, I get wait till. So, as an NFT investor or collector, I'm happy. I started to try to become an NFT investor, and I made a ton of stupid decisions and bought a bunch of stupid stuff. But on the collecting side, I loved it. I loved meeting the artists. And so with that newsletter, I just started profiling the artists. It was sort of my, it was what I could, the only value I could offer as someone who was new to the space. I was like, hey, if you want, I'll send you, you know, you're doing a drop. Let me at least send it out to these 2,000 people to sign up for my newsletter. And artists would be like, yeah, that's great. So I got to start interviewing people and getting to know them. And that, you know, that just, I think when you get into Anything creative, like when you meet the creators, it's hard not to fall in love with the space. If you meet the creators and you like the creators, it's like you're in.
2: A hundred percent. You know, it, I, I've, I really, I, I feel exactly the same way. I had the realization, collecting early on, and 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 making some of the, you know, you know, missing big things, um, kind of intentionally. And I had the realization, oh yeah, I've never liked mainstream music, mainstream movies, <laughs> mainstream television i um, probably not going to like mainstream NFTs either, right? I've, I've got to be, I'm going to have to be, you know, happy being kind of the person that I am in this space. And that might make me a relatively poor, in, you know, an investor, but uh, you know, I'll pick a couple of winners along the way, I'm sure as well, yeah. because, you know, I'm passionate about, I'm passionate about art and creativity and, yeah. and, and the storytelling, as you said, and on, on the, on the mailing list. I think it's also interesting though, what you said, cause you, you, you got in it to tell the stories of the artists, but you stopped the mailing list because I can't remember your, your quote to me, but it was a good one. You felt like it was, you know, you were, you were just talking about like Saturday morning cartoons, you know, in, in every, in every episode or something. So what, what, what's your take on the space in that way?
0: Well, no, I mean, I think, so when I said with the mailing list, it was called alpha drop, it is called alpha drop. And my, it was a daily, NFT newsletter, so it was it was forcing me to pay attention. So again, I'm, this is me forcing myself to get into the space and being like, well, I want to add value. If I do a monthly newsletter, I'm not going to pay any attention. So I was doing it daily. Well, how do you fill up a newsletter with daily stuff? Well, I had some people grabbing a bunch of the drops that were happening around the internet, and I would send them out. And I always would say like, this is quantity over quality, a hundred percent. Now I hope to flip that, but at the beginning it, and you know, yeah, it was just random shit that I was finding, and so it wasn't like. I wasn't particularly proud of the drops that I was giving the alpha on necessarily, but the top of it, I usually would write like a note about here's what happened yesterday, or here's an artist I met, or here's an artist profile. And when I would ask people about what they liked about the newsletter, like most of them liked that top section. That top section was very time consuming, right? That was hours a day. Um, And so it wasn't that I wasn't willing to keep doing it. I was on paternity leave when I launched the newsletter. And when I got back, I just didn't have the time to do the top section as much. But I also just looked at the growth, and someone again who's like looks at this kind of looks at the data. You know, it was growing, but it wasn't growing. The line wasn't going up. That was proving that I was adding enough value. Like if I was adding real value, there would be more organic growth because of sharing. The, The the people who were on the list loved it, but they weren't sharing it. And so it was like the the graph went up and then sort of plateaued a little bit. And I was like, this tells me that the product isn't very good. Like I shouldn't keep working on this product if I'm, if I'm not creating value. And so that was the thing that really got me to, to ramp down. So.
2: Well, I've taken enough of your time. I, I really appreciate it. Maybe you, you just mentioned stats. I, I mean, that was one thing I wanted to ask you about. Tell me, tell us where we are with premint right now. Um, what are, what are some of the, what are some of the stats and, and I'm curious, you know, how, how many, how many people, uh, a, a, a good drop collects and you know, what, what are, what are the numbers today? And let's follow those over the next couple of years because it's going to tell us what happens in this space, right?
0: Yeah. You know, it's interesting. So um, I was having all this, like, these server issues where they kept having all these timeouts. And I was, like, thinking it was bots and I was doing all this work. And I realized the other day that I was, like, so on the homepage, I calculated the stats. And, uh, uh, like, almost, I think it was every 15 minutes or something. But it was... Oh, that actually, that's why that bug was happening. Anyway, um, I was doing this, the, some heavy processing and I, it was happening every time someone loaded the page as opposed to once every 15 minutes. So I just turned that off. I'm going to turn it back on. But um, So I haven't actually looked at the stats for a couple of days. I would guess we're at 3 million registrations about total across the board. And people can delete their lists afterwards and those registrations disappear. But at least 3 million, I think we had 700,000 wallets or around that um, have connected. And... Uh, at least 3,000 projects that I would call meaningful projects. And I can't remember. I think I either said they had to have 50 entries or 20 entries, but it wasn't like testing projects. It's like real projects. I think we've had like a 10,000 people come in and kick the tires. The crazy thing about that is, and this was someone who was giving me some crap on Twitter yesterday about the fact that there's only 10,000 collector passes, because they were like, I think you're not being fair, because there's not enough of these. When I when I thought about the collector pass like a month and a half ago, there were 200,000 wallets that it connected. So that's like, that's half a million more wallets in a in a couple months, month, month and a half. So like the growth is staggering, um, how many people are kind of, and it's just mostly because more and more projects are onboarding. Um, so anyway, say so yeah. We should check in in a couple months. It'll be interesting to see. I, I, for a while, I was just like, wow, I don't even think there are that many NFT collectors out there. Like 200. When at the time, I was like, 200,000 is kind of like a big part of the market um, for like actual people. I know there's you know infinite wallets, but like that's a lot of people coming in to interact with this. So anyway, so that's where we are. There um, on a list to list basis, uh, it's too variable to really know what good is because it all depends on what what the gate the project puts up. Right. Yeah, I, I don't think we talked about this. You can you can say you have to sign into Discord. You can also say you hold a specific Discord role in a server. That's probably the best gate because you completely control who gets that that role. Um, it's really hard to game that one. Like you know, if you have like twenty thousand people with the role, you you know, okay, well you're going to have twenty thousand people can sign up. But like you can't re- you can't trade roles. Like it's much harder to, to game out. But I would say like if you're launching a ten thousand supply you want to get over 30,000 30, people signing up probably um, to feel a little more confident. My wife and I sat having dinner the night before our, our drop and it was 10,000 supply. I had 36,000 people on the list. I had no clue if I would sell out. No clue. I still don't know if I would have sold out had I not changed the term. No clue. And that sucks. I mean, I think I want to solve that problem. I want a creator to go into mint day knowing what mint day is going to look like, not being a little confused. Um, but yeah, I think that... Um, Yeah, I think that like for if someone's aiming for a 10K collection, like, you know, through collabs, through marketing, you know, people are people are trying to get to the 15 to 30K signups. It also depends. Like if you don't have any gate on there, uh, you'll you can get 50,000 people to sign up over the course of a couple of days. If you're I mean, X Copy did one. This was in December, I think, or maybe it was January, but he opened it up for 15 minutes, tweeted once. They got 15,000 or so entries in 15 minutes and then closed it. Right. So it just depends. Um, You can also set an upper limit like Farouk for rug radio did this. They wanted a 19,000 person list. Now my advice today would be don't do it this way. But at the time they're like, we want 19,000 people. They set that as their cap and they just filled the list pretty quickly. And then it stopped. They probably could have gotten much more than that because he has a big reach, but kind of depends.
2: Super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. I mean, seriously, thank you for what you're building for the community really you know that's sincere I, we we appreciate it and and thanks for yeah. spending time with us uh, here and for using ledger. I appreciate that too yeah
0: of course <laughs> yeah, thank you. Uh, it's an amazing product like I said one of our core you know the most requested feature is essentially ledger support. I mean people don't say ledger support, but they're saying i want to I want my I've got my cold storage, I've got my hot wallet and I want those to be separate in mint. and I'm sure most
1: of those people are ledger users who are asking for it
2: Cool. well, you know we're 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 happy to be here with you so
1: we we'll, we'll stay
2: with you. More
1: okay. to come. That's it. A fascinating conversation between two great builders of this space. If you enjoy what we do, please hit that subscribe button and help us help you get more of it. This was On the Ledger from Paris with your host Moul Said. Till next time, take care. Au revoir. This content is provided for informational purposes only and is the sole expression of our opinion and should not be relied upon as legal, business, investment, or tax advice. Do your own research, and the loss or profit is your sole responsibility. Stay safe.